<sighs> well, Miss Katie, I've got a slide. It's right after this, I think. I believe in you. I, blank, take you, blank, to be my wife, in my case. And I promise before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. Those are some pretty profound words of commitment. I have made vows like that. Some of you have made vows like that. Some of the most important words we've said, actually. And we've all, I think, watched someone over the years make a promise like that to someone they care very deeply about. To say, essentially, I solemnly vow that from this day forward, my life will never be the same. That I will live a completely different life from today onward. But there are kind of some issues with these vows. Um, They're a little impersonal, I'd say. As though you could put just about any name in any of the blanks. And in our time, I think we have recognized that. It's one of the reasons that people like to write their own vows in our world. And I think it's a good thing, culturally. Uh, it's this sort of instinct to say, but not just anyone fits in those blanks. I chose you and you for a reason. And this is a really big deal to me. Um, and sometimes it's adorable, but they go on for like 15 minutes when people write their own vows. And that's adorable and annoying, depending. Uh, they get a little distracted, maybe, by telling you the story of how we met and maybe why I fell in love with you and why I think you're so dang cute. And somewhere in the midst of that, they actually forget sometimes to make any promises. Uh, so sometimes people write their own vows and actually neglect to make vows. And one of the reasons, not just because they're distracted, but I think because these are intimidating. That's a blank check. You and only you for the rest of my life, no matter what happens. But what if they get fat? What if they have Alzheimer's? What if we fight all the time? What if I meet my soulmate after we get married? What if their job moves them to Canada? Could I really live in Canada? <laughs> and that's kind of the point of the vows, right? That you, you say them, and there are no what-ifs. You're just all in. You're committed from that day forward, no matter what happens. We live in a time that's sort of allergic to commitment. Commitment issues, I think, are in the air culturally, all over the place. It's one of the reasons we can't commit to an airline rewards club uh, or a toothpaste or any number of other things like a church or a god or another person sometimes. And there's a reason we, we avoid these, but I think it actually gets in the way of really deep relationships. You can blank that out for me. Thank you. There's a bizarre conversation I had with a friend years back. Uh, I had been in a relationship with somebody, and we were engaged, and we were about to get married, and then we decided not to, which is a very long story. But it was a really rough thing for me. It was, I was grieving that decision for a very long time. And I was hanging out with some old friends at a park very late one night, which is not a normal thing for adults to do. And we were hanging out at the park like hoodlums, I guess. And we were talking about our lives, which was fun. And somewhere in the midst of that, one of my friends, um, very well-intentioned, uh, said something along the lines of, you know, it, it's, it's okay, man. It, it just it didn't work out. It wasn't love. And, you know, it's for the best. Which is one of those things that's stupid that people say when they're trying to, like, make you feel better. And if you're a charitable person, you hear that and you go, I know, I know what you mean. It's not quite, but I, I know what you're, where you're going with that. 
Uh, but I was not feeling charitable in that moment. And so instead, we got in a huge fight. Uh, not physical, but very intense. And we were both uh, real jerks. And so I'm going to relate some of that fight to you, which is embarrassing. But uh, basically, I came back along the lines with, um, you have no idea what it's like to be me. You have never been in love like I have. You have no idea what pain is like. And he got pretty offended by that because he's been in some relationships over the years and because he was trying to be nice and because it's, he was actually living with a girl. Uh, he had been for about a year and a half. Um, not a Christian, by the way. Um, and so he, he pointed that out to me and said some other things. Um, and I fired back with, yeah, that's, I mean, you guys are dating. It's a breakup. There's no skin in the game. You can walk away at any time and all it is is a breakup. And you like it that way. You like not having committed to each other. I was willing to give my entire life to somebody. You guys are playing house. I actually used the phrase playing house. Wasn't great. It's not my best moment. The next day, we got together and we apologized, which is good, by the way. It's good to fight and then resolve things. We apologized to each other. And um, yeah, in the midst of it, though, he did ask. So, I mean, you just think my relationship is worthless? And I said, no, I was, I was being a jerk. Uh, I actually might have used different words. I was being a jerk. And um, yeah, but I, I do think it's, it's weird. Uh, why, why do you think that you guys aren't willing to commit to each other? Why do you think you've never been willing to commit to somebody? What do you think that means? Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, uh, which is a quote I've got for you, uh, said it like this. Oh, how pitiable the person who has never felt the loving urge to sacrifice everything for love and so has been unable to do so. See, commitment is this thing that scares us, but it's the, you know, the only way to really experience love as it's meant to be experienced. A deep and abiding love. And I'm not just talking about romantic. I mean, really committing to doing life with somebody, really committing to Jesus, is one of the only ways to really experience with the love that he has for us. And we're going to see that today in John 11. So turn with me to John 11. And we've said this before. John tells really long stories. So we're only going to read the first part of this story. And then we'll be at the second part next week. So John chapter 11, about the first 16 verses. We're continuing in a series called Loved, Invited, Transformed. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with her perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring to sleep. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, 
let us also go, that we may die with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's go die with him. Thomas can't just walk away. Thomas is committed, willing to risk it all for love. And this is the same guy who's called the Doubting Thomas, which I think goes to show you that even people who believe really strongly can doubt, and even people who doubt can believe really strongly. That is not a guarantee that you're not committed. In fact, sometimes I think it's a characteristic of really committed people. Let's go die with him. Why is everyone so sure that Jesus is about to die? Verse 7, Jesus says, let's go to Judea. And everyone reacts like he's saying, let's hit a bee's nest. Why, why would you do that? Like, what, what do you think is going to happen? This is going to be terrible. Rabbi, you are pushing your luck. Why would you go there? They are trying to kill you. They will throw rocks at you. Do not do this to yourself. Let's lie low for a little while. But Jesus, if you've read any stories about him, it, he doesn't lie low. That's not like his, his thing. And so following Jesus does not, well, it never puts you in the position of being able to, to avoid making waves. And so they're going to go, even though some Jews are trying to kill him. Now, the translation I read said, the Jews are trying to kill you. And so it's worth an aside at this moment to mention that not all of the Jews are trying to kill Jesus. You would think that I don't have to say this, but in the history of the church, when people like me don't say stuff like this, uh, the church reads sentences like that very anti-Semitically. Uh, extremely anti-Semitically, actually. And then we have a crusade against the Jews, or an inquisition against the Jews, or horrible rhetoric against the Jews in Europe for several hundred years that leads to the Nazi party. Or in the United States of America in the 21st century, Christian adoption agencies who refuse to allow Jewish people to adopt children. That was in the news this week. Uh, so let me say as clearly as I possibly can, there are Jewish people in this story talking to Jesus, who is also Jewish. The writer of the Gospel of John, Jewish. The people reading this book the first time around, also Jewish. You cannot be a Christian and hate the Jews. In part because you follow Jesus and so you can't hate anybody. But also because you can't be a Christian without Judaism. We read Jewish books. We follow a Jewish Savior. We wait for a Jewish resurrection. We are in many ways Jewish. It's really important. Again, you think I don't have to say it, but I'm saying it. Now again, some Jews are definitely trying to kill Jesus. Let's be clear. Not all the Jews are good people in this story. Definitely trying to kill Jesus. They have made some attempts on his life to this point in the story, and they are definitely going to kill him. In fact, this will be the last time Jesus goes to Judea. So they're right. The disciples are right. If he goes there again, they will kill him. Spoilers. Jesus is going to die. I don't know if you knew that about this story. They made a movie about it. It's the whole thing you could learn. Jesus is going to die in the story. It's okay. There's a happy ending later. We'll get into that as we keep going throughout the series. But these Jewish people, they're, they're very into killing Jesus. And the disciples know it, and Thomas knows it, which means they have accurately understood the danger. And still Thomas says, let's go die with him. Absolutely committed. I love this part of the gospel. It might be my favorite part of the gospel of John. He understands the risk, understands the danger, and he's still ready to die with Jesus. It reminds me of, uh, there's that speech in Henry V, Shakespeare, makes it into just about every war movie and a lot of sports movies and a New Girl episode at one point in time. All right. He who sheds his blood here with me today shall be my brother. And we in this day shall re be remembered for it. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. There's some things some things in life that are worse than death. Abandoning a friend is one of them. 
And Thomas is in. Let's go be heroes, he says. Not just, I'm going to go follow Jesus and die with him, but he's recruiting. Let's all throw our lives away in pursuit of this thing called discipleship and friendship and faithfulness. Let's go die together, friends. That's a great evangelism message. Try saying that to people who don't believe in Jesus. Let's see if they want to come to know Jesus. Now, as I say that, joke, the truth is there are people all over the world who say something along the lines of, hey, you're going to follow Jesus. It's probably going to get you killed. Do you want to come? And people all over the world want to follow Jesus, despite how crazy a message that is, despite how difficult a commitment that is. Thomas is all in. But the sentence, let's go die with him, is not the most inspiring of sentences all the time. It might be nice if he said something like, let's go with him. Who knows, maybe we'll be okay. He seems very confident we're all going to die. And that leads some interpreters to read Thomas with a very different tone of voice. And that's the trouble with reading the Bible. Sometimes you don't know tone of voice. And so instead of, let's go die with him, they hear something like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh, let's go die with him. And that is a kind of discipleship sometimes we fall into, a kind of following Jesus that we fall into, where we serve because we have to, and where I kind of find myself sometimes with this sort of serve, suffer, repeat. All right, I guess I should pray. I'd really like to sleep a little, like, a lot longer, actually. Okay, we can go set up chairs or tear down chairs at the church. All right, let's, I can talk to this person here about Jesus. I just want to drink my coffee. I just want to be alone, but okay. Uh, we, yeah, we should probably invite somebody over for dinner because that's, that's the gospel, I guess. I don't really want to hang out with anybody. Right now, this is just, ugh, oh man, I have to read the Bible. I'm not getting anything out of this. It's just, and that, that I think is something that we do occasionally fall into. We're following Jesus because we have to, because we made a commitment and we're stuck with it. And it's a kind of commitment that the, the Bible warns us about. Uh, there's a letter to a church in Ephesus in a book called Revelation. And the Spirit of God says, look, you guys are doing great. You're doing all the right things. You're doing them in all the right ways. You hate evil, which is great because I hate evil. Uh, one thing, you, you don't love me the way you used to. What's the deal with that? Consider how far you have fallen, he says. Try to get back there. Remember what it was like to follow Jesus when you first started following Jesus. Or for some of us, that's not that long ago. Praying was something that was exciting. Giving up things because, well, I'm, I follow Jesus, so I just, I'm not going to do that. That was exciting. I'm going to wake up early and and read my Bible because I want to learn more about this. There have been seasons and times, I think in most of our lives, when volunteering or serving or whatever is, is just this energy, life-giving thing. And it might be worth asking the question, what's going on? If, if that's not happening right now, if you really feel like the sickness and in hell, like, ugh, till death to his prayer, I don't know. If you watch people giving their vows and they, they have a look on their face like, this seems like a bad idea, you'd be really worried But those people are always really excited to give their entire lives away. If you ever watch someone make these kinds of crazy promises, they seem to think that it's just going to be absolutely fine, no matter how bad things get, because I've got this other person with me. That's what you look for in a marriage, but that's what we look for in discipleship, what it looks like really to follow Jesus. This incredible life-giving thing. There was this uh, other girl that I dated along the way. I had a lot of bad relationships. It's fun. It's really fun. Uh, terrible life choice. So there's this other girl I dated uh, for well, it was a couple of months, and we fought all the time, um, despite only dating for a couple of months. We fought all the time. And we talked a lot about how we fought all the time. So it was a lot of fighting or talking about fighting, which was uh, really not a lot of fun. And uh, there was this day I was talking to a friend, and he'd been married like five years, and we were just kind of talking about life. And 
I was telling him a little bit about the relationship, and the more I said, the more he asked questions, and the more I said, I was like, yeah, I just, you know, we fight all the time. I don't really like being around her right now. It's a lot of work. Relationships are a lot of work, you know? Um, but that's, that's relationships. You just, you got to work at them. Because I'm talking to someone who's married, and, you know, I figure maturity. And there's this long pause. And he says, yeah, relationships are work, but you like the work. My, my best day with my wife is incredible. My worst day with my wife is still better than any day without my wife. Maybe you should date people you like. <laughs> <laughs> and that was actually it was a surprising sentence to discover that I didn't like her. Um, it was, yeah, and she didn't like me, and that was, you know, good times. Discipleship, right, should not be like a miserable relationship in which you're with somebody kind of out of obligation or because it's hard to walk away. When it comes to following Jesus, some of us, I think, would prefer maybe not to go all in, not to be completely committed because we recognize that that's big. That's a big leap. And maybe for years, you've kind of felt like you're just at the edge of Christianity and you come to church and it's a big thing for you and you read your Bible sometimes, it's a big thing for you and it's kind of like you're living with Jesus but not really married to Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, I, I want to be close to you, but I don't want to share a bank account. Like, that seems just a little too far. Uh, I want to be, be in, but not all the way in. Um, in our church, uh, when you get married, you take vows. But when you get baptized, actually, you take vows in our church. You say things like, I, I'm giving up my old way of life, and I want a brand new way of life. From this day forward, I want to be a completely different person. I'm, I'm all in. In sickness and health and plenty or poverty and joy or sorrow, I'm all in. And sometimes I think when it comes to following Jesus, we think, well, if it's fun, maybe we're not following Jesus. Or if there's joy in it, maybe I'm, I'm not with Jesus. And sometimes that might just mean that you're, you're miserable. It has nothing to do with discipleship. You might just be in the, the wrong situation. It's always worth remembering the kind of person we've committed ourselves to. I think that's the advice I give to married couples when we sit and we have counseling sometimes. What was it like when you were falling in love? What did it feel like when you were making your vows? Why did you choose this person in the first place? Jesus, in this story, is absolutely committed to us. In all stories, actually. Absolutely committed to us. In verse 3, some people are worried about a guy named Lazarus, and we're going to talk more about this guy next week. They're worried about him because he's sick. And so they send a message to Jesus, and the message is, Lord, the guy you love is sick. Not come save him, not can you heal him, not can you come quickly, just, Lord, the guy you love is sick. Because they know that he doesn't abandon people he loves. That's just not who Jesus is. He does not abandon people he loves. Long before you ever said, I love you, to Jesus, he said, I love you. Long before you ever said, I want to follow you, he said, hey, come follow me. Long before you ever said, I, I want to be all in, I'm committed to this, he died for you. He has done everything in his power to make it clear that he loves you this much. Everything. And that's an offer, very much like a marriage proposal, to be all in with him, to commit back to him, to dive right in alongside him. And sometimes it is hard, and sometimes people do really suffer. In this story, there's some real suffering. John doesn't want to pretend like that's not something for people who love Jesus. But people who love Jesus follow this fearless leader who's willing to lead you not just before death, but beyond death. In verse 11, he's written, Lazarus, our friend, has fallen asleep. And they don't get that, which is really funny. It's a metaphor. But again, they don't know all of, well, 
the story, and Jesus always seems to know all of the story. So you can kind of excuse the disciples for not knowing what's going on. Lazarus, our friend, he's, he's falling asleep. I'm going to go wake him up. Death is not scary for Jesus. Death is an irreversible condition, like a nap for Jesus. That's a crazy kind of power in Jesus. And the disciples say, if he's, you know, if he's asleep, I think he'll be okay. We probably don't have to risk our lives for this. And Jesus, no, 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 he's dead. We just, we got to go wake him up. I'm really glad I wasn't there at the time because you guys are about to see something I think you really need to see. You're about to hear something you really need to hear. You're about to believe in a way that you've never believed before. While you're with me, he says, it's, it's like walking during the daytime. You don't trip, you don't fall, you're going to be okay. And Thomas seems to hear all this and says, yeah, let's go die with him. I'm in. Let's go die with Jesus. Stupid as this sounds, I'm on board because who knows? I don't think Thomas knows the end of the story. I don't think he believes that Jesus is going to be raised from the dead. And I can say that because we know actually what happens in Thomas's story later. But you and I know the end of this story. We know that when we make a commitment to Jesus, right, it's for the rest of our lives. But the rest of our lives with Jesus, that's an eternity. That it goes beyond death. That he's committed to us, not just to the point that we die, but far beyond death. There will be a day when you die. There will be a day when people you love die. And Jesus will look at that like it's a nap. Like it's not really a problem. I'm going to go wake them up. Come with me. Let's go, let's go raise the dead together, Jesus says. And Thomas is all in. There was this um, meeting I got invited to this week, uh, full of people who were missionaries to Muslim nations. It was a remarkable thing. I got a tour of this facility, and these people were uh, just, they wanted to pray because it was Tuesday, and that's what they do on Tuesdays, which is fun. And so we got together, and they were saying, you know, we, we actually, we have a lot of money. We just need people who want to go, which is not a thing that missions agencies usually say to pastors. They're usually like, hey, if you could give us some money. That'd be great. Instead, they were saying, you know, all we need are missionaries. We just need team leaders. We need people who are willing to say, let's go, let's go die for Jesus. And so we got together and we were praying for unreached peoples all over the world with remarkable people, most of whom had been missionaries in the room. And we're Skyping with this one particular couple who's being sent out that day. And this couple, they're going to go um, to Kazakhstan, uh, to an area that is extremely hostile to the gospel. And they are not 19. Uh, they're in their 60s, which is crazy to me. It's crazy when a 19-year-old goes, but the 19-year-old sometimes doesn't think through the consequences, and that's why they're willing to follow Jesus. But the people in their 60s, they have children, they have grandchildren. They're, they're giving up a lot. They're giving up the American dream, which is, you know, get old and then coast. Uh, once you retire, you don't have to do anything for anybody ever again, uh, which I think is maybe a flaw in the American dream. And these people, they've sold their books, they've sold their house, uh, they've cashed in on their retirement because they just don't need it. Uh, They've said goodbye to children and grandchildren. They've had to process the fact that some of their children are really offended that they're going to go be missionaries. They think maybe we didn't talk about Jesus well enough if they're offended that we're going to be missionaries. And they've had to go through some counseling and it was really expensive and they've had to say goodbye to their grandchildren. And this all before they even get to Kazakhstan and learn the language and read the Quran in Arabic and eventually get good enough at speaking that they can then risk their lives because then people will realize why they're there because they can finally understand that they're talking about Jesus and inviting all these people into this risky and dangerous adventure. Let's go die with them. And these people who are speaking to us by Skype and who we're praying for, they say, yeah, it was really expensive for us, not just money. It cost us a lot. And it was worth every penny. We're just so excited to go. We're just so excited to get there. Friends, let's go die with them. You and me, let's go die with Jesus. Let's, 
Let's be that committed. And not serving in a really sad and miserable way where we say, ugh, every day with Jesus is just hard and the death. But one of those moments where we say, I'm, I'm all in and I don't care what happens. I'm gonna take the crazy risks or 